Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there is some clicking on the line, but don't don't let that disturb you because you're about to hear an incredible show. This is Mental Health Comedy with Ed Krasnick and Jennifer Kalari. I'm a Hebrew action figure, and Jennifer is a child and family therapist who has a great organization called ConnectedParenting.com. We talk to comedians, we talk to entertainers, we talk to performing artists, we talk to all kinds of people about mental health. And not only do we talk about it, but we practice skills because everybody talks about mental health. Nobody has been able to uh, kind of practice it and show people maybe how they can practice it in their own lives. So that's what we're aiming to do. That's the aim of the show. We know what physical fitness is. We do not know what emotional fitness is. I'm sorry if I'm yelling. There's a lot of clicking going on in my mind. First of all, our guest is one of my favorite people, one of my favorite creative comedians ever, and one of the greatest of all time, Jonathan Katz. He's going to join Oh, God, us. I'm so glad you're talking about me, Ed. Maybe you had somebody else, like yeah. a ringer. No, you are a ringer. He's actually here. He, you've heard him. That's actually his voice. So Jonathan's going to join us in just a minute. But I wanted to just welcome people. You know, Jonathan, we always welcome people who are listening, and we do emotional shout-outs. Just a few emotional shout-outs to the audience. If you're making a movie called 10 Things I Hate About Me in your head, welcome. If you visited Six Flags Over My Depression, welcome. If you're feeling unloved by Zoom, welcome. If your new dating app is called Not Okay Cupid, welcome. If your Alexa actually says, Not Now, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, Welcome, there's always a place for you right here on Mental Health Comedy. And even before I bring him on, I'm just going to play you a quick clip here. This is myself and Jonathan Katz as Dr. Katz from the great show Dr. Katz. And this is just to give you a style of his therapy technique. Take a listen and we'll come right back on Mental Health Comedy. The point is that you will feel emotionally raw. Yes, I'm raw. I'm very emotional right now. That's a good thing. Is it good? Yeah. What about this voice? Isn't it too high? A little bit, but you can adjust that. Oh, so if I go a little lower, that's good. Mm-hmm. Still emotional? Well, I think you arrive with rage. Yes. And you leave with something less than rage. Yes. Whoops. You know what the music means? We're going to have to stop now. Our time is up. The greatest show ever. And uh, we're going to bring Jonathan in in just a minute. But Jennifer, I wanted to just ask you, you know, we talk a lot about imagination. Imagination as a tool for mental health, Mm -hmm. possibility, and conscious choices. And we talked a little bit about abundant thinking. How do you use imagination in your own life, in your own mental health? Sure. So, I mean, listen, there's there's a number of different strategies, so I'm just going to pick one. And this one that I use is an interesting one because I don't want people to hear that, you know, I'm not listening or I'm not in a moment of deep caring. This is This is a technique that you would use when you are talking to someone who is really in a heavy, and you've done some good listening and you've been very present and they just keep going, right? They're ruminating, they're stuck, 
they keep saying the same thing over and over again, and you really feel like you need to be there for them, but it's draining you. You're starting to feel now that you are almost feeling what they're feeling. So there's two tricks here. One, and this is a very, very simple one, you put your palms together and you cross your legs. Okay, so we are bioelectric beings, okay? Literally, this is not new agey stuff. This is actual science. So when you, when you put your palms together and you cross your legs, you're literally closing off your own circuit. And you're basically going to hold on to, to your own kind of electrical energy. And you'll be less likely to absorb what's happening from the other person. Very simple trick, very effective. Then the second part, and this is, again, after you've you know, listened and you just know you still have to be there for this person, but you can feel your own anxiety coming, rising. You can feel your own kind of, oh, I don't like what I'm feeling. So in that moment, what you actually do is you use your imagination. And you and I talk about this all the time, that your imagination is one of the most powerful tools you have in terms of your own mental health, contentment, and happiness. It, it's right. so powerful. And, and people don't realize what a magical thing it actually is and how, how it can serve us. So basically what you do is the person's talking about whatever they're talking about, and you sit there and you, you're looking at them and you're nodding and you're present. But what you're doing is you're doing a voiceover in your head you are imagining that that person is saying perhaps even the exact opposite of what they're saying. So instead of them saying, this is terrible and nothing's ever going to work and nothing I try ever happens, you're literally imagining them sitting there going, I'm so excited. I've got this energy. I'm going to pour myself into this new idea that I have. And I just wake up every day feeling great. And it sounds so crazy. But if you can do this voiceover in your head, imagining that that person is actually in a wonderful space, and they're excited about something, and they're tuned in, and they feel good, and they're in a really lovely energy about them, your energy is going to change, right? So the, the micro expressions on your face, your energy is going to change. They're going to pick up on that energy. And most of the time, it's actually uncanny if you try it. And I'd love to hear from people like that they tried it, and I'd love to hear what they say. But the, the person that you're talking to will actually go, you know what? I, I can't stand the sound of myself right now. And Maybe I should look at this positively. Like they'll, when you shift your energy, they will shift their energy. We're very, very connected to each other. I think a lot of people hear the word imagination and they think the land of make believe. Yeah, and flighty they, they silliness. Think, they think yeah. Disney. They think yeah. you, anything can happen if you make believe. This is not make believe. This is believe. Mm -hmm. This is not make believe. Yes. There's a difference. There's a guy that you introduced me to, Jennifer, named Neville Goddard. Mm -hmm. And you should look him up. Uh, you, you really will get a thrill if you look him up on YouTube. Neville Goddard, great name for a guy like that, a visionary. Mm -hmm. And he talks a lot about imagination. Sure. And imagination is actually the place that where all things are alive. It's the place where all things are living. It, you're yes. not conjuring anything. Yeah. This is actually using your imagination as a tool for living. And listen, yes. there's nothing that can happen that's bad from doing this. The worst no. thing that can happen is You're you gonna start feel to better. feel good. So here are two reasons why. I know it sounds crazy. First of all, the limbic system is really dumb and it doesn't know what's real and what's not real. So if you're suddenly imagining that something is going the way you want instead of going the way you don't want, your biochemistry is gonna change. Your body is gonna change and your energy is gonna shift and then you'll have an impact on the person that you're talking to because your micro expressions are gonna change and you're your shoulders and your face is going to soften and they're going to get a different feeling from you. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is everything comes from the imagination. Our phone that we're on, the chair you're sitting on, the computer you're in front of, the car you're driving, every single thing in our lives was in somebody's imagination first. Right? That's where that's our right. power is.
That's where everything really is. And now actors use it in their work. They use it to create characters. They use their imagination. They use their sense of memory. They use all kinds of tools mm -hmm. to substitute the feeling for the character so that they can be present with what, with what the intention is, what the feeling is. But you can do the same thing and you don't have to be an actor. You can just practice imagining. Right. I love right. that you're saying practice because the more you practice, the better you get at it. The more rich your imagination becomes, the, the better you get at tricking your own limbic system. And that's why I love what you just said. Like, there's no downside to this. Like, right. And I'm not saying walk through life and just imagine that everything's fine when it's not and ignore everything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying after you've been present and after you've dealt with it and you've really worked it through, and this is now a strategy to cope better with a situation, go for it. And the worst that can happen is you feel better. That's the worst that could happen. That's the very worst thing that could happen. Imagine people for their best selves. Yes. Imagine the situation for its best mm -hmm. self. Imagine yeah. what you dream and what you want, that you can live it, that there's no boundary between you and this way that you want to live. Start practicing it. You can practice it at any moment. You can practice mm -hmm. it before you go to bed. You can practice it while you're tying your shoes. You can practice it while you're sitting in the car. Why not practice those kinds of things rather than what if I don't get the job? What if I don't get the house? What if, what if it doesn't yeah, work out in the relationship? What if my friend never gets, feels better? Exactly. exactly. What if it does? What if it does? What if it is happening? What if it can happen? It's not being Pollyannish. It's really a practice of feeling good and being alive. That is the state of being alive. Somewhere along our evolution, we got away from that. That's not all we're made up of. We're not all... That's right we're going to die and we have to protect ourselves. That's not well, and, the only thing right. that we are. And there is that negativity bias in the brain, right? For sure. But the truth is we spend an extraordinary amount of time focusing on what we don't want versus thinking about what we do want. And that's where our true power lies. It's a self-practice too. You can change the voiceover in your head. Everybody's got a voiceover in their head and it's usually of a horror film. It's yeah. what's not going right and what's going to happen that's horrible. And it's all in the future or the past, which is why we're either anxious or depressed most of the time. It actually has a connection between what you think and what you feel and the reactions that you have in between. So voiceover in your head, what is the voiceover that you've got going today? When I say you, I'm talking to me. I'm talking about me because I've got so much stuff going on in my head right now. But before we, we get into that the gentleman that, that you're hearing here, this guy, I don't even know where to start, so I'm not going to start. I'll just say, if you have seen uh, Dr. Katz at all, if you have seen movies like House of Games, if you listen to podcasts, if you, if you watch Letterman, if you've seen any of these kind of programs, you know about Jonathan Katz. He's been doing this for many years. One of the best comedy writers, one of the best comedy minds in the world. A real inspiration to me. So, Jonathan, first of all, what's the voiceover in your head right now, and what's going on with you at the moment? No, as, as I was listening to Jennifer describing this technique, all I'm hearing is my wife saying, why the fuck won't you listen to me? <laughs> this is why I said the first part's really important. You have to be present in the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, if, you, if Susie wants to talk to, to us and join the program, that's fine. But can you answer that question? Why oh. the fuck won't you listen to me? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it very often in my married life, my wife will say something 
that's emotionally significant to her, I will sort of, not deliberately, but I'll dismiss it because I'm deep in thought and so excited to tell her about something. And she resents it. That happens a lot. That happens. You know, Listen, we're, we're all the stars of our own movie. Right? We have to remember that. And when you are a person, and often really creative comedians are, in their heads, most of the time, that's where a lot of the creativity and the great stuff comes from. It's also where a lot of the pain and, and stress and anxiety comes from, because that amazing brain can work against you as much as it can work for you. But when we're not fully present, so it's, it's interesting in that example, the first part is actually really important. And the more you don't listen to someone, they're fully aware, the more they're going to keep talking to you. They're just going to say the same thing over and over again. So right. learning how, which is actually a skill, we can talk about that today, how to deeply be present and listen means that you'll have this amazing moment where your wife feels deeply hurt, she feels great, and she's moved on. And then you can go back in your own head. But if, if you don't, otherwise you're having these kind of half vague conversations where you're kind of missing each other. She's feeling like, hello, <laughs> you're not listening to me. Where are you? you? You're never present. And then the person who's doing the talking ends up talking more which often drives the person crazy that's actually not listening. And you end up being participating in, in the very dynamic that's driving you crazy. This is what I mean by you have so much more control in, in your life and in our lives than we think we do. Well, it's conscious choices, right? We think about our own mental health. We don't think that we can make conscious choices. And you can make a conscious choice in any moment. And when I say you, I mean, I'm, I'm blaming it. All another. of us. Yeah. It's all of us. It's anybody. Go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, Jennifer, would it be presumptuous of me to call you participant number one nine four four nine nine? That's our meeting link, and that's an exciting oh. number. Um, yeah, no, that's how. Yes, Jonathan. Now, jo Jonathan. Oh. Now, this is something I always wanted to ask you. You are constantly thinking of like creative things and thinking comedically. Does that help you? like problem solve too? Or is it like, how do you delineate how to turn that on and off? Because there's no one who thinks more creatively than you do. I, you know, I don't really have control over that uh, at uh -huh. this point. Well, there's no you know, need to I, shout. I'm right here. I, I hear what you're saying. I say, no. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, I wish, sometimes I wish I could stop making jokes. And very often, <laughs> yeah. very often I'm on stage when that happens. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a virtual stage, uh, mainly. Well, well, now let's let me ask you this because um, you've you've done so much, so many different kinds of work, and there's so many stories I have personal stories. But do you find that when you're not feeling well, either physically or emotionally, what do you do? How do you take care of yourself? Is there a conscious thing that that you do? I, I don't know how much Jennifer knows about my health. But I've been living with MS for about 20 years or more. So one of the things I need to do on a daily basis or I should do is to stretch, to really stretch my legs. I live in Newton, Massachusetts. I've gotten as far as Brookline. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, but that's the kind of self-care that's important for me. I don't know what kind of things to do for myself that are good emotionally. When I was in therapy, which I've been in and out of therapy since I was a kid, and my most recent therapist, you know, I would, I would show up 
and I was essentially researching a role. I wasn't really being a good patient, just trying to earn the lines that she used, like things like "Let's explore that." <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my least favorite line because that's like going to a trying to get your used car repaired. Let's explore that. How much of your personal therapy did you use in Dr. Katz? The great thing about that show is it was a character named Jonathan Katz, and so much of my life was based on my actual life. Like, mm. my fictitious life was so real, which made it easier to remember my lines. I mean, one of the things that was so great about that show is the tone of it. Yeah. It's so human it's a lot more human than actually the pace of, of actual life. I think when you put that on and you just listen to it, it's very calming. The show is extremely calming. If you're having a problem, listen to Dr. Katz, because it's, it's great. I mean, you, say, you have such a great voice, but your relationship with John Benjamin is just so, it's, it's almost medicine to listen to that stuff. It was for me too. His, his arrival in my life was one of the best things that ever happened to me. For those of you that don't know John Benjamin, John Benjamin is the lead in Bob's Burgers. He's the voice of Bob and Bob's Burgers. He's also the voice of Archer on FX. And he's been doing this for many years, but it started on Dr. Katz, where he played Ben Katz, the son of, of Jonathan, of Dr. Katz. Creative thinking, comedy, it just always comes to you. You don't, I can't picture you angry. I don't think I've ever experienced you angry. What? What are the most difficult emotions for you? And, and are you a guy who, how do you display things like anger? And when you get depressed, what, how are you? You know, I, I've been on antidepressants forever. So I think that kind of masks my actual emotions in some way. I don't really know how they work. Maybe Jennifer, you know. Well, you know what? It's so interesting you say that because I don't think you're alone with that. We, we are literally in a culture that is afraid of emotions. From the minute we raise our children, it's my child's upset, you know, put an iPad in front of them, buy them something, take them somewhere. There's this profound sense of like you know, avoiding emotions. But if you avoid emotions, they're there to tell you something. They're your, your emotional GPS system. It's information. Right. And if you ignore that information, it's just going to come knocking louder and harder at your door until you're so overwhelmed that you can't regulate anymore. Our whole culture is like this right now. And, and certainly there is absolutely a role for medication when, when it gets so overwhelming, you know, that someone can't regulate and they're just miserable in their own skin. There's no strategies in, in those extreme situations that can really help you. It's literally like teaching someone to swim by shoving them off into the deep end and telling them to kick, now kick your feet and move your arms. Nobody can learn like that. So sometimes you need that help to kind of give you that buoyancy and then you can learn strategies. But that's the part that's missing. Like people will take medication and they stop there. But there's so right. much you can do. There's ways that you can learn. There's a million strategies that can help you. You can wire your own brain. This is all programming. These are habitual brain firings and habits that we can unlearn. And we don't have to be the way that we are. We, there's, we have a choice. We are the programmer of our own brain. And the other thing that happens in our culture is people deaden emotions all the time. If they're not taking a medication, then they're, you know, smoking pot or they're having a drink or they're buying something or they're diving into episodes of something in order not to feel. But we've got to feel. Feeling I'm is, writing is, these things down just so oh, I make so. sure I do them because I, <laughs> I don't want to feel. <laughs> I have a friend who, who made up this expression. 
what is there to relax about? <laughs> it kind of applies to today. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. not. It's true. There's not a lot to relax about right now, but there is. It's all the meaning that you give it. So on a daily basis, if you are not imminently being chased by something, there's not something literally right in front of you that's going to attack you, then there's lots of reasons to be relaxed, right? But we live in this, in this world where we are in fight or flight almost all the time over, over almost everything. And some of it is real and legitimate and huge. And some of it is, is not. And so learning how to be comfortable in our own skin and learning how to regulate and learning how to recognize real thoughts from fake thoughts. And Jonathan, you really seem like a person who, I mean, you're a keen observer. You're always observing. You're sort of living in this other plane where you're making these rapid connections, which is probably how it, just the way your brain's wired and it makes you so good at what yeah. you do, but it also pulls you out of the moment sometimes, which is why uh, your wife uh, might get annoyed. I'll give an, extension, an example of how much I love word association, which is a big part of my comedy. I actually joined one. <laughs> there you go. Yes. I See, that's how he works. That's how it happens. I have to tell you that over the weekend, we talked a little bit, and my daughter, who's 15, is a huge fan of Jonathan's. She's, been, she's had conversations with him over the years, a few of them, and but started watching Dr. Katz when she was, you know, we, we watched it when she was much younger, but she brought up a joke to him <laughs> and from his act. And it was like a very specific joke. I actually do Jonathan a little bit, a little bit, but the idea was, and you correct me if I'm wrong with this joke, that, you know, they found that sexual harassment has in fact spread to the, um, the horse community. And that when a horse says nay, that's right. It really does mean nay. Am I right? Yeah, you, you know, you kind of destroyed the joke, but I think <laughs> <laughs> your memory is good. No, I think I think the way the way I told the joke was that I work with the horses in the area of sexual sexual harassment. Oh, Jesus, our, it's a different joke. <laughs> our feeling is that when a horse when a horse says nay, that's exactly what he means. <laughs> that's so much better. Oh my God. I have to listen better. I have to listen better. But the, he's got a million. I mean, they're just so funny. And seeing there's nothing funnier. And it doesn't didn't happen that often. But I worked with Jonathan on some, you know, we all have bad, we all have crazy one nighters outside of Boston. <laughs> and and well, when the when the jokes aren't going over well, he just looks at the audience and he says, Exactly, ladies and gentlemen, precisely. Huh. You know. Ed, would you indulge me for a second and tell my favorite joke that you told on Dr. Katz? And I'm, I don't know if you take requests, but it's... Is it the baseball thing? Yeah. Okay, so... Just, this is just for Jennifer's benefit. Jennifer, and any, so, anyone so, else who's yeah. listening. So very, okay. so very briefly, this is a moment in my life, big moment, first time I ever saw my father cry. And it was 1978, and it was during the Red Sox and Yankees one-game playoff. They, they were up 17 games, and they blew the lead like the Red Sox used to do. And we were watching on the edge of my parents' bed, and his hero, Carl Ustremski, Red Sox player, hits a home run into the right field stands off Ron Guidry, who was 25-3 and three that year. And it was amazing. And Ustremski is rounding the bases. And I look over at my father. My father's crying. Tears are rolling down his cheeks. And I said, Daddy, are you okay? Are you all right? What happened? 
And he said, Ed, I'm trapped in a marriage I don't understand. And so that, and I blew the joke. That's the moment that I remember yeah. most from my childhood. <laughs> That's such a great joke. <laughs> At any rate, so here we are with Jonathan Katz. You're listening to Mental Health Comedy, Ed Krasnick, Jennifer Kalari. And Jennifer, maybe you could, you could share this thing too. We talk about this, this teacher, this leader, Neville Goddard, who talks a lot mm-hmm. about imagination. Mm-hmm. And he talks about specifically not only using your imagination, but actually, you know, living it, coloring it, thinking of what you want and manifesting that. But also another technique, which you talk about a lot, when that is seeing other people the way you wish. Yes. My favorite quote in the world is his quote. I love it so much. It's don't believe what you see, see what you believe. So if you don't like the world the way that it is, start imagining it the way you want it to be. It sounds so crazy and it sounds so kind of silly and light, but it, it truly like your brain, you're a projector. We're basically living in a virtual reality suit. Okay. And our body and our brain works together to interpret basically information and turn it into whatever we think it is. It's all data, right? If somebody hands you a piece of paper, it's, it's just scribbling on a paper. It's, it's data. It's nothing. It's information. Our brain has decided what all those scratchings mean turns it into letters, turns it into the meaning behind the letters. So everything that we do is a projection of what we believe and what we see. We're receiving stuff and we're projecting stuff. And the crazy thing about this, which I love, and it doesn't mean you deny reality. You can be in reality and then just don't dwell there, right? Dwell (laughs) in what you want. See the world as you want to see it and watch what starts to change it's quite a unique and interesting way to approach. And for people who are anxious or stuck in their own heads or they get depressed or who have this sense that they want to control everything, you can control so much more by focusing on what you do want instead of dwelling on what you don't want. Sounds too easy. So hard. (laughs) Jonathan, it is so hard. Believe me, it's hard. But it really does make a difference in your life. It really does. And think about it. Like, Why do we walk around all the time focused on what we don't want? thinking about all the things that aren't working when literally hundreds of things are going well that day that we don't think about. This comes back to mindfulness, like just getting clean water out of a tap. That's a miracle. And we do it a hundred times a day. We don't think about it, right? Uh, They think about it in Flint, Michigan. They do. That is true. So it depends on what reality and what data is in front of you. And obviously, if there's a trauma in front of you, you pay attention to that. I'm talking about on a daily basis, on a normal kind of wandering through your life, complaining about everything in your head, when you actually, billions of people would trade with you that day for your worst problem. I'm incredibly lucky, given all the difficulties I I live with and all the things I've given up as a result, I've had to give up Mm -hmm. as a result of MS. Mm -hmm. I'm still one of the luckiest people alive. But the thing that concerns me is the survival of the human race. Yep. Hmm. I'm not convinced it's going to outlive this virus. I I don't want to bring it down. No, no. no. Do you know, most people on the planet are thinking this way. Like we can't deny that this is what people are thinking about, but here's the, so let's use the virus as an example. We can spend all day thinking about that, or we can take our energy, close our eyes and see all the people in labs racing to find a vaccine. All of the nurses and the doctors that are, every single day figuring out what's working and what's not working 
figuring out all the people who have actually, during this ridiculous pandemic, reached out and helped each other. It's the same reality. We're just deciding what part we're going to focus on, right? Because right. the world is not going to be a better place if we're all lying on the floor going, just wait for it. It's going to happen, right? But it will be a better place if we're trying our best. And that doesn't mean you don't go there sometimes. I'm not, I'm not saying to people, just ignore reality completely. I'm just saying, don't dwell there. Even a huge statement like that, what's going to happen to us? Is there going to even be a human race? Right now, right now in this very moment, if you don't have it and you don't know anyone who has it, then focusing on what's going okay in your life right now, where you can be positive, how can you be the best version of yourself? We all need to be that fantastic person we want everyone else to be. That's energy well spent. May other people be well. May other yeah. people be well. I mean, that's a, a prayer, a, a thought. I mean, the thing is, we're practicing these thoughts all the time. And I think of Max von Sydow and Hannah and her sisters, that's a weird reference. But he's very funny in it because he talks about people ask him why there were Nazis. And he says, given the way the world is today, the question is not why were there Nazis? The question is, why doesn't it happen more often? <laughs> and, and And so... The, the question is not why were they Nazi. Anyway, I, I think that when you consider multiplying all of these thoughts and the fact that of where people's brains are tuned, usually against themselves, often negatively, it's a problem. That really is the problem of the human race. The problem is how to heal and how to solve these things in our own selves. You know, that's why mindfulness is really a great movement and it's brought everything forward. But mental health, everybody talks about it. And the thing is, if you even practice these little things, even if you're just aware of what you're telling yourself, you're already on the road to freedom. You're already on the road to freedom. And this is being said by somebody who is, you know, I'm not a very good practitioner of it. But I feel like those momentary seconds when I'm not beating myself up and I'm actually looking at what I'm thinking or making a choice or, or imagining, you know, something that feels good or something that I know has happened in the past or something that I can have in the present, it really does change your state. And this is from somebody who's a depressive, you know, as I said many times, my whole life I've suffered with depression and I knew that one day I would learn how to make it funny. Well, today is not that day, unfortunately, but Still, <laughs> I, will, I will do it one day. Um, yeah. Ed, when I look at the screen and you're speaking, my screen says Talking Ed Krasnick, which I think would be a great stage name for you, by the way. <laughs> but but that's, not, that's not what I wanted to say. I wanted to ask Jennifer a really dopey question. Sure. Do you occasionally walk around your house singing, how do you pronounce your last name? Polari. No, I do. Oh. Yes, there are moments. Um, you know, that's actually a Finnish last name, and it means car crash. It means collision. So how about that for a name? Jesus. Uh, oh. I'm so sorry. And look what you've done with it. You've made it into a Grand Prix uh, prize-winning race. Look at what you've done with it. That's really interesting. How did you learn that? Did your husband say, you know, you're going to take my last name, but I'm going to tell you that it does mean car crash. Yeah, know. pretty much. Pretty much just like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jennifer, wow. what's, what's your maiden name? Lindsay. Why Lindsay. Why did you give that up? Well, you know what we did? We actually, we did the hyphenated thing. And it, it's actually officially Lindsay Calari. But it actually confuses a lot of people. Because it's like, what's your last name? Lindsay Calari. 
that sounds like so your first name's Lindsay. no my last name is Lindsay Colari. I, I even had one someone say how do you spell that and i said Lindsay hyphen Colari, and they're like how do you spell hyphen i'm like you know what it is time to drop the Lindsay. so we're just Colari. but my husband also hyphenated his last name so we're both Lindsay Colari. and i'm married to a woman named susie cates k-a-i-t-z we've just been driving computers nuts all over the world <laughs> people are convinced they've been making typos well, names used to mean something. Names used to be, in the, in the old days, you wanted uh, people, that their names would say what they were doing. If it was What they a, did, yeah. It was, it was a goldsmith. Goldsmith, this was actually what you did. What I want is I want people to go back to that because I want to know where people stand based on their names. So if I get a doctor, I want a doctor with a name called Dr. Got a Lot of Sleepovich. <laughs> what do you need the vich? <laughs> I try to make it sound <laughs> ethnic. <laughs> Everything is ethnic with me. Um, oh, yeah. But Jonathan, so I, I want to say your voice is a very soothing voice. And I wonder. Oh, yeah. It is. I, I, it wanted is. To, I wanted to add to that thought because my wife has never been able to stay awake for one episode of Dr. Katz. <laughs> she would listen to it. Yeah. And occasionally but she would never watch it it was she, she just couldn't stay awake well it's because your voice is very soothing and it's also very human and when you're watching tv a lot of the stuff is not at a human pace or a human tone and so when you find something that is you gravitate towards it and it's very calming and your podcast too now tell us a little bit about your podcast before we leave tell us where we can hear that and where are we going by the way <laughs> no place in particular. <laughs> no place fast. No, I, I have a podcast which I started probably in the year 2009, maybe, called Hey, We're Back. And I made 43 episodes and I stopped. And the idea was just whatever struck me funny that day. It was very whimsical. And a lot of it had, had to do with me talking to customer support. It's already yeah. funny. Yeah, sure. Was, my favorite episode is where this, I'm talking to Comcast. I shouldn't mention the name. And I explained to them, look, I know this. I know that, that you say at the beginning of this call that all calls are recorded. And I'm wondering if it's possible. I'm a voiceover actor. I'm wondering if it's possible to get a hold of that recording, which I might be able to use as a demo. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this is a guy in the Philippines. I'm going to try not to do a Philippine accent, but and it's I, Mr. Katz, I, uh, that's my supervisor. So, <laughs> so a supervisor says, no, they, that's just for their use, only those recordings. Then I said to him, I noticed while I was on hold that the music you play is really not that good. I write music, and I wonder if it's possible I could submit something to, to you for your consumer experience if you had better music and he said that's my uh, supervisor <laughs> anyway this is re really cruel at his expense but that's the kind of stuff i love doing yeah you enjoy I, doing that yeah i yeah. hear that thing you love to like just gently throw things off balance a little bit just to get people to just turn it and see yeah. it a slightly different way which is lovely and there's so much value in that i want to go back for a second to something you were saying which is this kind of how hopeless a lot of people are feeling about this virus. And I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, like this is just, just pretend it's not happening, put your fingers in your ears. I'm saying this is the reality that we're in. 
you can either sink to the bottom with it, or you can try to find something in it that you can see some beauty in or see some hope in, which is a really important thing, right? So there's always two poles to everything. So even if you start looking at the numbers of how many people have this virus, and I do not mean in any way to demean people who are going through this and struggling with lost family members and all terrible things, but there are every day thousands and thousands of people recovering from this virus. We can also choose to look at that. Look at how many people have recovered. We can choose in any moment in time which end of the pole we want to focus on. Yeah. And I'm not saying ignore the other one. I'm not saying that. That's where action happens. That's where change happens. Just don't dwell there. Because when we dwell and we're constantly pulling our brain into that negative kind of polarized place, our body can't tell the difference between something that's actually happening right now and going to happen right now or may never happen right now, but we are living it biochemically. So there is cortisol flowing through our body, adrenaline coursing through our veins. It is miserable. It causes anxiety. It causes depression. It lowers the immune system. So the very thing that we're frightened of, we're actually depressing our immune system. So think about it this way. If we were being chased by something and you had an infection, okay, and, but a tiger is chasing you. Can we, your make, body, it Can we make it a bunny? We could. There could be some people very afraid of bunnies. Whatever you're afraid of, okay. make it what you need to. But, but the bottom line is this. If you are running from that thing, your body is going to divert all of the energy needed to fight that infection away from your immune system and into, your, into the system of your body that makes you run. Right? So when we are in a panic, our immune system downregulates. By worrying, we're actually, we're actually depressing our immune system. So as simplistic and ridiculous as it sounds, first of all, you're going to feel better when you do it. You're going to get a little vacation from feeling terrible. If it's as simple as going for a walk and, and just trying to get these negative thoughts out of your head and just focusing on how beautiful a flower is or a beautiful smell or I don't care what it is, if you can even for a few seconds get a break from it, you're going to help your immune system. This is important to our physical health and any of our health issues that we're dealing with. You're building new neurological hardware. You're rewiring your brain, these kinds of little steps. Or conversely, you're programming your brain for mm -hmm. negativity and dysfunction, which is a lot of what has happened in the past because we've never been taught these skills. We've never been taught mm -hmm. that, that it's possible to reach for better thoughts. If I was taught as a kid that I could have reached for better thoughts, my kindergarten would be a lot different. And then there wouldn't have been a, that incident with the scissors, which, you know, they wrote about in the journal. Mental health comedy is brought to you by the new therapy app, Utalki. Utalki is the new therapy app where you get to learn a new language. You're paired with virtual therapists who speak Japanese, Russian, Spanish, French, Dutch, Hebrew, Chinese, all languages from around the world. Feel heard, feel seen, and learn how to say you deserve love in Italian. Listen and repeat. Merita l'amore. We have to stop now. You talky, where therapy is a brand new language. Jonathan Katz, just before we, we say goodbye here, would you ever consider running for office? And what kind of a politician would you make, do you think? I have considered. I've considered running for, for local government, for the mayor of Newton. And I think I would have to have a staff and constituents who all sleep as late as I do. 
Because I sleep so late. Yeah. yeah. And my wife keeps saying that's what my body needs. I shouldn't feel badly about it. No, I, I, I can't run for office. Yeah, there's, I can't there's, run there's from nothing office. I can do. There's nothing I can do. There are so many great stories about you, legendary stories in the comedy community about you. Now, I don't know if this one is is true, but wasn't there a situation where you were acting with Robert De Niro on something that David Mamet had done? This something happened that, that made everyone lose their I, crack up? I was reading with him for a role in a movie. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's seen him on screen, you're, just his presence is a little scary. I don't know. I, I snapped at him at one point. <laughs> you snapped at Robert De Niro? Yeah. How did that go? Hey, 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 hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Just uh, just something as simple as that. <laughs> and then everybody cracked up on the set. There was this moment yeah. of tension. Yeah. 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 It, was a, it, was a, it was just in somebody's office, but it was a very funny moment. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's what Jonathan Katz does. That's what he does. I do remember you reacting to the writer's room. The concept of group oh writing made you laugh oh. so hard you couldn't contain yourself. You actually couldn't be in the room. Yeah. I had to excuse myself. Luckily, I, I hired somebody who did know how to run a writer's room. We made 22 episodes of a show called Raising Dad, which is... Have you ever seen that show, Jennifer? No, I haven't. I would yeah. look it up. Well, I have to tell you about this show because it touched the lives of so many people. Jonathan created the show. He brings in Norman Steinberg, who becomes a mentor. Norman wrote My Favorite Year and Blazing Saddles and was is one of the comedy legends of, of writing. In that room and the acting, the act, the cast is a girl named Brie Larson and another mm-hmm. girl named Kat Dennings and Jerry Adler and Bob Saget. And that's the cast. And then the writer's room was full of tremendous writers, B.J. Novak and Chuck Sklar and Bill Masters and all these great writers. So it was kind of an incredible show. Bill Broaddus. Bill Broaddus, yeah. And my wife was a studio teacher on the show, and that's where I met my wife. Yeah, amazing. Raising Dad. Uh, Raising Dad, okay. Raising Dad was a, great, was a great show. Jonathan created it. There's a lot more to, there's a lot more to talk about, but we're going to wrap up. Jonathan, anything that I should know before we head out? I think you should play us off to uh, Jennifer and I singing, Volare. (laughs) No, 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 we don't have to do that. That's our new theme song uh, for the show. Thank you for that. And please, uh, let's come back and let's, uh, we'll talk some more. Please, please join us again. Yeah. I I have to say, Jonathan, your mind is fascinating to me. I love this little bit off balance, just constantly seeing things in a different way. I I think that's really important. I love it. There's nobody better. There's nobody funnier. Absolutely. 100%. Jennifer, you two have an extraordinary mind, I can tell. Oh, thank you. You know, one of the things I like to do is to guess people's age because just Uh from their voice. Okay. I'm going to say you're punching in at around... um, uh, you have a 32-year-old son. 26. <laughs> well, <laughs> Bring that number down. <laughs> I'm going to say you're in your early 40s. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I am 55. That's such a cute age. Isn't that a cute age? I love this age. Yeah. I really do. I, it's a privilege, honestly. It really is. And one of my favorite favorite? speed limits, one of my favorite (laughs) speed limits, 55. 49 was my favorite age of all time. 
I think 50 was my favorite. Actually, I'm liking 55, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm 73 now. I think you're going to love it. I think I will. Honestly. See, I practice what I preach, right? Like, everyone who's sort of fighting, getting old, and I, I wouldn't want to look 25. I wouldn't want to be 25 anymore. I have learned so much. There is so much richness in life and every wrinkle I've earned and it's a privilege to be 55 it's a privilege to be 73 so many people on the planet don't ever get there right so listen I know it can sound kind of corny but the truth is the more you think like this the better you feel that's the bottom line it's a big antidote for what's happening today for sure and just being in the present and I, I appreciate being able to to do this so Thank you so much. Keep coming back. It works if you work. And I'm at Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. Please keep listening to Mental Health Comedy. Subscribe and have a very good week. See you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.